Hello, my name is Anne Birch, and I'd like to welcome you to this first series of 10-minute podcasts called Stress to Strength, where I talk to inspirational women who found a way to be successful and happy with what they do, despite the stresses and challenges along the way. They're not superwomen, they're just like you and me, and I hope that you will find their stories as inspirational and encouraging as I do. Details of all the contributors and resources mentioned will be in the notes accompanying this podcast series on my website. Elaine, welcome to Stress to Strength. I'd like to start by giving a short introduction about you and what you've achieved, which is set out in the book, I Am A Woman Who. In your chapter, you write about your father, his influence on your life, and that you launched Katum Publishing in 2010 after working as a journalist, editor, and digital manager for regional and national newspaper groups. You ghostwrite articles, blogs, newspapers, and books for busy people um, who don't have time to do it themselves. And in the past 12 months, you focused on helping authors edit their manuscripts. Wow, busy lady. (laughs) You're also writing a full-length play, and you told me that one day, when you semi-retire, there might be a novel. You've won a BAFTA and been awarded the Woman Who Achieves Award for Networking in 2019. When I read the stories of fellow contributors in this book, I was struck by the similarity there was, where there was often a pivotal moment which changed everything, a disaster or unexpected event. And it reminded me of a quote by James Joyce, that mistakes are the portals of discovery. So, Elaine, I wanted to ask you, what mistake or mishap led you to a portal of discovery? Well, Han, I definitely agree with the saying that you never lose, you either win or you learn. I think mistakes and mishaps are definitely always opportunities to learn. I love that story, I hope it's true, that WD-40 got its name because there were 39 formulations that didn't work. (laughs) In my case, if I think about a pivotal moment, it would be 2010, when the business I was MD of was sold. It was traumatic because of the impact on my team who were made redundant. I was offered another role, but I actually held out for redundancy because that would give me the opportunity to be my own boss, set my own rules, and not dance to anyone else's tune. Redundancy has lots of negative connotations, but for me, it was a massive opportunity that came at just the right time. Some people say, don't you wish you'd done it years ago? But I don't, actually. I think I did it at the right time for me. I absolutely loved my career in the newspaper industry, and there were definitely more days that I woke up mad keen to get into work than days when I didn't. That said, I did have two really rough spells, one in the 1990s and one leading up to me leaving. But those bad times just taught me so much about myself and other people. It was an education I really couldn't have afforded to miss. Well, that, that is so true, Elaine, isn't it? That uh, That is that kind of portal of discovery, that mistake that um, mm. sometimes when we look back, we can appreciate um, was that turning point for us. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. So my second question is the same in all of the podcasts where I'm offering you a fact. And your fact, Elaine, is that in 2017, the New York Review of Books featured 677 men but only 242 women. 
while the London Review of Books had just 151 women on its pages compared to, wait for it, 527 men. (laughs) Fairly shocking figures when women are responsible for buying two-thirds of the books sold in Britain. So what are your thoughts and what do you think about this? (laughs) Well, you hear numbers like that and you think there's something wrong there. (laughs) I mean... I wonder if men feel embarrassed to be seen buying or reading a book written by a woman, and that's what's kind of behind it. I don't know. I mean, there are still so many inequalities and prejudices that women have to face. You know, not long before I started my own business, I was at a meeting in London, and I was the only female MD in a room full of male MDs. I'd travelled the furthest to get there. Most of the men knew each other, but it was me that a female secretary, who I'd never met before, made a beeline for and asked if I'd check over the lunch order when it arrived and make sure everyone had got what they'd ordered. She had to leave. So I politely declined and suggested she asked one of the men who, in fact, knew most of the others in the room. I mean, yeah, we've, we've still got a glass ceiling in many sectors, haven't we? But maybe people would think that when it comes to novels, women have got a fairly level playing field. But here's another story I came across the other day. An American writer called Catherine Nichols sent out her manuscript to 50 agents. Now, this was only five years ago in 2015, and she only got two responses. So she then sent the same manuscript out again, calling herself George Nichols, to 50 different agents, and this time she got 17 responses. And she also noticed that George tended to get more thoughtful feedback, you know, about the structure and how the characters interacted with one another. But when she was a woman sending a manuscript, and she tended to get more vague responses, such as, well, beautiful writing, but I'm going to pass. And, you know, that set me thinking about how the Bronte sisters pretended to be brothers when they published their books in the mid-19th century. And, of course, they weren't the only ones doing that back then. And more recently, we've seen female authors use their initials rather than their first names. It's always interesting, I think, to wonder how far we've actually come, isn't it? Yeah, that's just... um so interesting what the story you've given Elaine and it makes me think of J.K. Rowling of course who um, may be extraordinarily successful but still um, when she changed genre um, put it out as a, as a as a male anyway we, we won't go there but but uh, yeah lots of food for thought um, so thank you for for that My next question is one I often ask coaching clients, and it often reveals a truth that's been around for a while. So given your portal of discovery, what do you know now that you'll find out in six months? And what does that mean you will do today? (laughs) Oh, wow. That's a great question, isn't it? It makes your brain twiddle in all sorts of directions. (laughs) I guess in my chapter in the Woman Who book that you mentioned at the start, I talk about my dad and the things he did and and the things that I've done as well, which seem to be more random at the time than driven by reason and strategy and plan. Things you just do and you look back later and you think, goodness, why on earth did I say that or why did I do that? But thank goodness I did because look what's happened as a result. And I think one of those things started for me last year when through apparent coincidences I'm not sure if there are such things as coincidences but still I found out about this amazing woman who lived in my hometown Burton-on-Trent during World War One and despite having a very full work and personal life already I thought I'm going to start writing a play about her and it's involved lots of research which I've loved and I guess what I'd say is I know that in six months it's going to be finished 
and I'll find out the plans for performing it before the end of 2021. And I guess if I dig really deep into my subconscious, I think this is going to be the start of a new chapter for me and perhaps more plays and maybe even that novel will follow. In terms of what that means I'll do today, I have got to be more strict and diary and honour the time to work on it. Before lockdown, I was taking myself off to a lovely venue in Burton called The Trinity on George Street and spending every Friday there working on the play. Since lockdown, I tend to be at home all the time and somehow that can make it harder to keep your emails shut down and your phone on silent. But when I've got a couple of big projects finished that I'm working on now, I promise I will work for myself literally and make it happen. Fantastic, Elaine. I'll I'll hold you to that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Elaine, one of the things that... um, that I need to do sometimes is if I'm having a bad day, return to a favourite piece of music for, or writing for inspiration. And I'm curious what inspires you on the days when everything seems to be going wrong. <laughs> well, my two grown-up children, Kate and Tom, who uh, that's where I got the name Kate and Publishing from, um, and my grandchildren inspire me to do myself proud and give 100% basically so I can enjoy my time with them with a clear conscience, knowing I've made the best of my working hours. But actually, as I sit here talking to you, I'm looking at the wall behind my desk, and I've got this collection of framed prints of my favourite football team, Leeds United, who I have supported through thick and thin since I was six. And believe me, there's been a lot of thin. So if I'm having a big day, bad day, I just call it half time and I nip off the pitch and regroup and then go again because it's never over until the whistle blows. <laughs> oh, well, Elaine, we, we could have a very interesting debate as a Liverpool supporter <laughs> and I'm sure oh! all of our leaders, all of our listeners represent very different uh, footballs, yeah. but, but the analogy is a great one. Thank you for that. Elaine, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom with me today. And thank you, listeners, for signing up to the Stress to Strength podcast. All the details how you, how you can contact my guests are in the accompanying notes on my website, www.afbcoachingandconsultancy.co.uk.